Welcome to Dulles. We're a community of faith that embodies the love of Jesus for the good of our neighbor and renewal of our world. We're so glad you're listening. I'm taking a risk today. We're in this series that we're calling Voice that's dedicated to the idea that God actually speaks. We can actually hear his voice. So much so that it changes our own voice. It affects our own voice. How we communicate. We become people who speak hope. We become givers of life and encouragers to those around us. And uh, this, is, this has felt like the riskiest message I've done in a while. And so I'm going to try to set that up. I'm going to try to give you the context of why I feel that way. And then um, actually get into the message itself. So... We live in an area that is highly educated and very affluent. You know, I saw again, somebody was just saying, again, Loudoun County is again, I think, 18 out of 20 years, the wealthiest county in the United States. I think Fairfax is number three, number two or number three. Uh, And there's a lot of factors that go into that U.S. Census Bureau statistic. Um, We're also a very highly educated There are more master's degrees in Fairfax County than anywhere in the world, any other jurisdiction or region in the world. And the result of these things can be a desire to quickly hear about God in the context of church. I want to hear something that makes my life better now. I want to to be educated with more information that can make my relationship better this week, that can help me financially this week, where God can be practical. If God is practical... If, if this church, if Brad is going to tell me today God can be practical to me, this, then I'll pay attention. And I'll pay attention to what God has to say. And it's, it's, it's a form of spiritual narcissism. Uh, I'll show up and I'll listen to God if he's going to do something for me right now, practically in my tangible life. And I, I was invited... Uh, a while back to a pastor's meetup in Richmond. There were about 35 or 38 pastors that Ben Arment invited. Ben Arment is a well-known church leader, blogger. Uh, he's been influencing church leaders all over the country for, for a long time. And he invited me and a number of other uh, pastors from all over the Mid-Atlantic. And he introduces each of us at this lunch. He goes around each person he, that he personally invited, all 30, however many of us. And he gets to me and he says, this is Brad Russell. And he He's pastoring a church in Northern Virginia. And then he said this that surprised me. He said, which is, I believe, Ben said, the hardest place in the United States to lead a church. And so after lunch, I went to Ben. I said, um, I feel that way. <laughs> I'm biased. Why, why do you feel that way? And he had lived and worked in Reston for a while. And he said, uh, Places that are affluent and highly educated are convinced that they can solve every problem on their own. They have the resources, they have the intellect, the educational background, the connection, the network to pretty much manage life. And it leaves people in spiritual poverty. This was his, I was like, wow, Ben, you just articulated a lot of what I find the struggle to be leading in, you know, not just a metropolitan area, but a very fluent area. So having said all of that, this is risky this morning for me because we're going to talk about what can seem like the mystical 
in knowing the voice of God and responding to it. Sometimes that means you, you get up and move. You get in your car and you go somewhere because God has spoken to you. Sometimes it means you go to a person and you, you say something because God is prompting it. And yes, that can even be at work. And no, you don't sound churchy and you don't carry a big fat Bible when you do that. You, you, you do it in love and you do it with wisdom. Sometimes it means offering forgiveness before the person indicates sorrow or remorse. Because God has prompted you in your gut or in your spirit or deep in your mind. It just this repetition of, I need to do this. And you discover it's the voice of God. You, you identify it as the voice of God. And so you act. And we live in a culture where we want God to inform us so we can take data points and write down the outline again and see how practical he can be for us. When actually God wants this emotional connection from us also and with us. Okay, so that's my preface. <laughs> Here goes. Harry Potter Legacy just came out. It's, the world's been kind of waiting, the gaming world, for this video game for a long time. Right, Alex? It's been in development for, you told me the first week you played it. You stayed in Hogwarts the whole week, right? Didn't you say? Like, it's, it's open world. So it's like endless, no boundaries to this video game. And uh, I've been reading a lot about it. I've watched some YouTube videos about it. And I messaged Andrew last week and said, Andrew, I think I'm ready to get back into video gaming after taking a break for three decades. And he responded with an LOL and, you know... Um, you know, that's what Andrew does to those statements. He just kind of laughs at me. And, uh, and it, it, it's not truly three decades. I mean, I, I, I've had a couple versions of Halo and, you know, some other uh, Mario Kart. And that doesn't really count. But so all of this talk of this new video game that, that's got kind of the gaming world abuzz has taken me back to that night in the winter when I was 19 or 20 years old. It was winter break. My brother and I were home, a bunch of our friends were over, as we did a lot on Friday nights, and we would play video games till 2, 3, 3.30 in the morning, often. This was a regular thing for us. Uh, I remember the game that night. We were, we were addicted then, that month, to James Bond. We just couldn't stop playing James Bond. and So I don't know how many guys were over, and... This night, and it's going to sound spiritual, the, the part of the challenge here is you may hear like, well, a future pastor, this is Brad who's going to be a pastor someday. This has nothing to do with me being a pastor or becoming a pastor someday. This has to do with me being a human and trying to figure out life. And I'd been wrestling that week, not, not particularly stressed. I was trying to figure out, you know, through college, like career, like what am I really going to do? That stuff was going on in my head for sure. But I was more in a place of trying to figure out, am I going to cycle like what seems like the world does? I, I finish college. I get a, a job, hopefully a good job. Maybe I can compete with jobs and climb my way up and make money. 
raise a family, then, then send kids out into the world and hopefully they can do a good job and be good people and then I'll retire. Hopefully live for a while enjoying life, I guess. I think that's what you do. And then die? Now I'm paraphrasing what was going on in my head. This is 30 years ago. That night when I was 1920 and this had been going on for a while and it all kind of came to a head this night. Friends were showing up and we were all starting and I, I said in the living room, hey, you guys, go ahead. I'll sit out the first round. I didn't make a big deal about this. I didn't tell them I was going to go walk in the street in the snow that night and what we would say today, pray. I didn't even think I was necessarily praying. I went out to just process life with God. And so I said, you guys start. Uh, I'll sit out the first round. And I went in that we had food in the kitchen. I went into the kitchen and off the kitchen was the bathroom where we had our winter gear and I just bundled up and just went out quietly. I don't think the guys ever knew I was missing or they may have, where's Brad been? And I walked the circle that we lived on, which was about a mile around in the snow that night, following a, I was disturbed. I, I, life, is this just what we do? We're all just machines. We all just kind of do the same process. I was also following what I knew was a prompting. I knew God was somehow wanting me to process this with him. And again, I don't, you know, we would say I went out and prayed. I, I don't know that I was really trying to pray. I think I just went out to think and say, God, is this what life is about? And there were a few things that went through my mind. And I, I, I wrote things down. Then my youth pastor taught me, you know, a journal thing. Sometimes it was just a note or two. And I've got this still to this day about that night. I started thinking about the human eyeball. <laughs> and now stay with me. There's a lot of risk in this message today. I just, just stay with me here. My mind is all over the place. And I'm trying to figure out my future. And like, how do I have, where is purpose in all of this? Is, are, are we just inherently filled with purpose by going to college, getting a job, Raising a family, sending kids out, you know, retiring and then dying. Is that, is that what purpose is? And so I'm, I, I'm, I'm carrying that into the walk. Like, God, is there more? Like, where are you in this? And then I start thinking about the human eyeball. It's like I become fixated on this, a number of things that just amaze me. That the human eye can perceive not just shapes and colors, and I knew in school that we have this optic nerve that runs, this nerve that runs to the brain, and our brain can interpret things that we're not even touching. And so I went into this, you know, I'm, I'm kind of deep, and now I'm getting kind of philosophical, and I'm, you know, on this other sort of mental level of life. I'm like, how, how does that happen? How can I see that tree? And distance, this nerve can take an image through the lens and interpret in our brain how far away the tree is or the car is or the person is. And I'm like, what, what, what came out of me that night walking through the snow is, wow, God, you're amazing. What kind of God can do this? And then I thought of things like relationships. I had the ability to laugh. Did something explode in nothingness billions of years ago and molecules and atoms begin replicating to the point where today I have the ability to hear a story and laugh or feel empathy or say, yeah, that's hurt me too. 
You know, and so, again, I'm, this, this is me in my 50s now describing something when I was 19 or 20, but this is the kind of, you understand, right? This is the kind of what's going on in my head that night. And we have the ability to think about the future we can anticipate. Where does that come from? Where does the ability to anticipate better or an improved future? We would maybe call it hope or vision. God, wow. And I'm attributing these things to God. I'm not taking from science. Science, science and faith have been at war way too long. It's one of the tragedies of the last 500 years. Science exists to help further explain God in the remarkable that is God. And I am processing this like, God, what is life about? And it just settled in on me. And I'm, what I'm going to describe now is hearing the voice of God. It was as if it couldn't have been more real than knowing I was walking in the snow. Everything that is my source of purpose and good and beauty and creativity is in him. He's the source. I don't, this is what's happening on that walk that night. Just this clarity of understanding. I don't tap God when I'm in crisis. That's not how life works. We're, we've been taught to do that. We reach out, we cry out, God, save this. If my marriage has hit the bottom or as a parent or whatever crisis we're in, financial. No, it's life itself that has its source in the creator. And it just became so real. I, I can't transfer how real that was that night to me. It just was overwhelmingly clear in my spirit. And what I'm describing in my heart, in my mind, I'm not sure I would have said the word spirit then. I just maybe would have said in my gut, I just knew. I knew in my being, I wrote, this was God who was calling me to be aware of him personally. I didn't need him to solve a problem that night. Not yet. Not in that moment. I didn't need him to just prove himself and then I could relax and get back to regular life. Those weren't my, that wasn't my agenda that night. What I knew in my spirit was that this was God who was calling me, and he does this with every one of us, every person, every atheist, everybody you work with, everybody in your family, yes, even that person you're thinking of right now, everybody, everybody, God is beckoning and calling to be aware of him personally. And I knew that night he's worth following completely with every part of me, every part of my life. Not just when I'm in need. And this is the voice of God. This is an aspect of the voice of God. And see, I think we live in a world where we feel like we're at a disadvantage spiritually with God. We can talk to people. We can see with our eyes. But we're supposed to relate to this God who's invisible. We're supposed to hear his voice when we don't actually audibly hear him. And it's, we, we understand that as a disadvantage. I'm telling you, that night on that walk and so many times since, I've understand, uh, understood, wow, we have this other dimension in us where we can actually recognize God. We can recognize the prompting of God. He's speaking to me. He's, got, he's directing me. He's saying, Brad, no. There's danger there. Don't go into that 
situation. Or Brad, go to this neighbor, this person. You've recognized there's something off. They're hurting or something's wrong. Go reach out. Go. This is how we're designed. And we, in educated America, chasing the American dream, it just seems mystical. And it seems intangible. And it's not objective, it's subjective. And so we tend to steer away from these kinds of things when God is calling you and me to emotionally pursue him, not just intellectually. We're to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Yes, our mind, we've gotten that down pretty good. But a big part of our recognizing God active in our lives, in our week, in our jobs, in our relationships, is pursuing God with our heart, the emotional part of us, where we want to know him. And we act, we step, we move, we respond. We don't just think and process. Ooh, that makes sense. Ooh, this was a good message on Sunday. Ooh, Brad said theologically what I agree with. We become evaluators of faith rather than practitioners of stepping and moving when God says, Brad, go forgive. Brad, reach out to this person who may be in need. Pick up the phone. Walk over there. Drive. This is the fullness of being the body of Jesus, the church. Being the body of Jesus in the world today where we are acting out, living out his image and his love and his greatness. All right, I was tempted this morning to once again put on the screen Genesis 1 and 2. I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to summarize here. We've, been, we've spent a lot of time in referencing the very beginning of God's heart. Everything was good. God creates. It's good. It's good. This emphatic use of the word good, repetition in Scripture, is this way of saying how dramatic the idea or the topic or the statement is in God's heart. Creation is perfect. It's beautiful to God. It's without flaw. And then the pinnacle of creation, God makes men and women, man and woman, in his image. Different from anything else in the universe. We are image bearers of God. And then God speaks to humans for the first time. And he blesses. And we talked about this a couple weeks ago. We don't typically know what the word bless means. We use it sort of generally in religious terms, in society. We bless people when they sneeze. But blessing means to offer a gift or present while kneeling. And God blesses humans and speaks to us and says, go replicate life all throughout creation. Multiply. Rule creation. Not authoritative rule. Creatively rule. You will replicate life not just through procreation, but through your words. And this is the intention, the purpose, is for us to walk in the presence of the creator, knowing him personally, and replicating life. And then we screwed it up. We royally messed everything up. We broke the universe. We broke the world by trying to take control, by trying to make ourselves God. And God's rescue plan begins immediately. And we see this unfolding in ch by chapter 12 of Genesis. We see the rescue plan beginning to unfold through Abraham. The call, you will be a blessing. You and your people will be a blessing to the whole world. And we see this rescue plan begin to unfold and reveal itself all through the story of God in Scripture. 
But we come to places like Psalm 19, and this is, there's so many places in Scripture, I could use a lot of examples here, where even in our lostness and our brokenness, and now we live in a world because we took control, we live in a world with disease and envy and broken relationships and betrayal, and the list goes on and on and on. And yet there's evidence of God's calling, God's voice calling you and me, recognizing who he is. And acting, emotionally connecting with him and acting. Look at this in Psalm 19. This is this poetic psalm. The heavens, heaven's not where God lives. That's, that's, this is the plural word, which means the sky. In Hebrew, when this word is used, plural, it's the skies. The heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament, which is the clouds and the air and the wind and weather. And the firmament shows his handiwork. Even, even looking up at the weather and the sky and the stars, there are these moments where we just have this, connected, this connectedness to, wait a minute, wow, I'm walking on a planet, a round ball that's circling the sun, and I have the ability to relate to people. This is design. I've been designed by the designer, the creator. We have these moments, and Psalm 19 speaking to this. Day unto day utters speech. Creation is calling to us. Night unto, unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. The message of creation is declaring, announcing, God wants to be known. You were made to know God and to be known by God. Creation declares this. A couple of years ago, this, this is the kind of thing that drives Amy crazy. I'll start talking this way, and she'll be like, oh, I stopped listening to you about two sentences out of your mouth. I was like, look at the sun. I mean, don't stare at it, but, you know, and I'm, I'm just, I'm sitting in, like, at a traffic light, or it's this fireball in the sky that never burns up. It's been on fire for billions of years. And I turned, I'm like, Amy, how do you explain that? And she's like, I don't want to explain it. I don't care. I just want to get home. Listen, and I don't want to be silly in these moments that I'm describing. Um, you have them too. And maybe it's not the sun and maybe it's not like the eyeball and you don't contemplate those kinds of things, but you, they, we are all innately wired to recognize why we were created and by whom. Even creation around us, nature, weather, declares it. There's speech, there's a, God's voice is in creation. This isn't an accident. You were placed here. You're designed for a purpose beyond just earning money. Sending kids off to earn money, retiring, sitting on a beach. Don't we all kind of picture a beach? Like, why, why do we picture beaches when we talk about retirement? We like, we hope we get a lot of years on the beach, sipping a good drink, and then that's it? Creation itself is calling us. You were made by a designer, a creator, who wants to know you. Not just the intellectual knowing of God, but you emotionally knowing him. Then 
let's just skip a lot of examples and get to the New Testament. Romans chapter 1, Paul says, the Apostle Paul says, Creation makes so evident the design of an intentional personal God, you are without excuse. Paul says, whatever your church background or whatever your religious background, you come to a point where as a human being you're without excuse in recognizing, wow, wait a minute, there's this thing that's pretty awesome. I can't explain it. And I get to experience this. This is, I'm designed to experience glory or wonder or amazement. I'm in awe. Romans chapter 1 is describing, well, God is speaking to you. He's calling to you in creation. Then we come to Romans chapter 8. And this just describes God's heart, his emotional love and heart to be close to us. Paul says, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, this is about what can separate us from God. What can separate us from God's desire to be close to you? I'm convinced. I've become convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, this is creation language, meaning not the highest peak of a mountain, nor depth, the bottom of the ocean, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul's using creation language to say, even in creation, if you place yourself in these different circumstances or geographic, nothing can separate you from the intense love that God has for you. Now, this next part was inspired by John Ordberg. John Ordberg's a pastor, church leader on the West Coast that I've followed for years, and I just find him inspiring in a lot of ways. There's a number of pastors who kind of consider him like sort of our remote pastor, you know, kind of fueling us. And uh, he did a podcast not long ago about building healthy habits. And he read Acts 17 in this one particular point that he was making. And it just took me back like, oh, man, Acts 17. And I wanna, I'm, I'm going to read Acts 17 to you here. Where Paul walks into Athens, there's not a single follower of Jesus. Remember, Jesus died and has risen and in just a couple of decades, expanding through the Roman Empire, Paul would walk into a city where there's not a single person who either knows about or is following Jesus. Paul arrives in Athens, really the religious epicenter of the world at the time. And uh, it's a very polytheistic culture. They believe in a lot of gods, just in numerous gods, the god of the soil and the crops and the god of the rain and god of the sun god and... And he goes to the Areopagus. Now, the Areopagus was a group of people. It was the high council body of Athens, of Greek society. They made all the laws, the important laws. But it was also a location, the Areopagus. And it's still there to this day. And my dad got to walk on this. It's, a, it's probably the size of this stage, maybe two of these stages. It's a rock, an outcropping rock Near the temples, the, the ruins today in Athens, uh, the Acropolis sits in the distance not too far away, and this Areopagus is translated into English, Mars Hill. And so in your Bibles, in Acts 17, it most likely says Paul arrived at Mars Hill. And this was the sort of like the Supreme Court or U.S. Capitol, we would say, location of all the major decisions that were decided by the Senate 
And Paul addresses this high council with their religious temples and idols all around. And he's very complimentary. He's relating to them. He's not criticizing or being condescending here. When Paul stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, exclamation point, like, hey, I have something positive to say here. I see in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. And so God's spirit prompting in Paul says, use this. Their desire to connect with or worship a God that they just hasn't been explained to them or they haven't concretely understood yet, you're going to use that idol, that inscription, to reveal the God, Jesus. And so Paul does. So you are ignorant in the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. And I'm going to just pause here to say that I often think that we, we acknowledge and worship Jesus at times as an unknown God. I don't know how that lands on you, but this is how I wrote it. And we, we, we read about him, we hear about him in church on Sundays historically. We believe he's done important things and he's rescuing the world in kind of some kind of religious way. But the idea to know him, where Jesus can speak to your soul and call you to act and make decisions and impact and influence because you respond to the voice of Jesus, it's like we don't know that Jesus. Or it's kind of scary or risky or we kind of leave. So we stay in the intellectual, teach me more about Jesus. Tell me what he did historically. And I think in this way, we, we, we sometimes maybe relate to the Greeks here. They have this unknown God, and they worship the unknown God and acknowledge him or it. The God who made the world and everything in it, Paul says, is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands, meaning he's not dependent on what we do. He's not God and remain God because we keep him as God or because we sustain him in some way. This God doesn't need us that way. He's God all by himself. As if he needed anything, Paul says. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. This is the source of life. It's not the God who just shows up and makes it rain once in a while. It's not the God who will shine down on you with sun and give your children favor randomly once in a while if you do the right religious things, people of Greece. This is the God who gives everything life. He's the source of life. And if you want to walk in purpose, you want to really know purpose, you need to walk in emotional connection with the living God. There's places like Colossians 1. John chapter 1, where Jesus made all things. All things were made by him and for him, we're told. Paul goes on to say, from one man, he made all the nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times and history and the boundaries of their lands. 
God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him. Everything about where we live and how we experience the world was done so we would recognize life is in him and I want to reach out to him. This reach out in Greek, the original word, it's a very rare word in Greek that translates best into English to fumble around for. Like in a junk drawer, you're looking for a flashlight or keys and you, you know it's there, I'm going to dig around until I find it, is what this Greek word means, that you would reach out for. Him and find him, the God that can be known and wants to be known, though he is not far away from any one of us. Have you ever thought that theologically God's close to those who follow Jesus, but he's not far, close to anyone else? Or I don't know if you've ever thought that way. I grew up at a church kind of believing that. The, Paul's talking to pagan worshipers in Greece here saying, he's not far from any one of us. God is so passionate to know you you can never get away from him. Wherever you go, whatever you've done, God is in pursuit of knowing you. For in him we live and move and have our being. This isn't just reaching out to God when you need something. This is you find your purpose in life by being connected to this God. He has given proof. He's given us proof to all of this by raising Jesus from the dead. God just wants, he, he wants us to make the shift in our lives to recognizing there is no life, sustained life, in the, the, the overwhelming happiness or peace, the shalom, the Hebrew experience of shalom where everything is whole, apart from being emotionally connected to him. Now, this last part of the message, I'm going to tell you about the Gottmans. John and Julie Gottman founded decades ago the Gottman Institute. It's designed to help strengthen relationships. And in large part through research and study. They have a lot of data, a lot of empirical data about relationships. Working relationships, marriages, parents, you know, um, family, familial relationships. And they, in their research, have uh, a regular part of their teaching is that we as humans offer bids for connection. You do this, you can't help but do it. The, the, the person who maybe is most hesitant to do this is the person who's been wounded deeply by other humans, where you become more reserved. It has nothing to do with being an introvert. Uh, the tendency of a wounded person is to, uh, I don't want to be wounded again, so I'm not going to offer bids of connection anymore. But, but our nature is to want to be connected in community. And so we do this as humans at work. Someone may come up to you and a bid for connection could sound like, hey, you, you want to hit the golf course sometime? This is a bid for connection. Or maybe after an argument at home with your spouse, you know, like, hey, um, sweetheart, I, can, can we have coffee? Can we sit down and talk about this? That's a, that's a bid for connection. A bid for connection is not the disingenuous, uh, disingenuous um, hey, how are you doing? When we don't make eye contact and you're walking by somebody, that's just sort of like, I don't know what else to say. In society, we say, how are you doing? We don't really care how they're doing. We just keep walking. We're not talking. That's not a bid for connection. Or you come home from work and your spouse is like, how was your day? That's not a bid for connection. That's sort of like, I got to say something. 
A bid for connection is, hey, so how, how, how was your day? How did the thing go at work? Or to somebody at church, hey, your mom, the thing with your mom. I've been thinking about it. How's she doing? Or These are bids for connection. We want to be in community. We want to be emotionally connected to someone's story or their life. And the Gottmans have found that there's three responses to these bids of connection. You can turn toward. When someone offers you a bid for connection, you can turn toward, which is leaning into and giving voice to. Man, I'd love to play golf sometime. Yeah, like how often do you, you know, like you, you lean into it. You give voice to it. The second response is you turn away from, where maybe you offer sort of passive interest. Like I'm not really interested. I'm going to say, yeah, that, that'd be cool sometime. Or you just ignore. You ignore the bid for connection. And then the third, which is the volatile is the turning against. It's repelling. It's the, can't you see that I'm busy? Or why are you talking to me right now? That's, that's a, I am not interested in connection with you. <laughs> and th- they, they have this fascinating stat. It's, it's so connected me to this idea of God. We offer bids for connection because it's always what God does. We are made in the image of God. He is always bidding us for connection. And the Gottmans have this stat, and they use marriage as, this is an example from marriage. Marriages, some marriages succeed and thrive, and some marriages fail. And they found that when marriages fail, turning, those, the couple turn toward bids for connection only 33% of the time. This is, this is decades of research. This isn't like one location of the country. This is just marriage. Like this is a very large empirical data point. When marriages fail, the individuals in the relation, the, the couple will turn toward bids of connection and attempt to say, I'm sorry. Or, hey, would you be interested? Why don't we go on a walk? Or let's go try a new restaurant. Or Only 33% of the time does, do the couple the partners turn toward bids of connection. In marriages that succeed, and not just sort of survive and figure out how to get along, but, but thrive, the couples turn toward bids of connection 86% of the time. And when I just saw this data point, I was like, this is true of us spiritually. People who struggle to feel connected to God, they keep circling like, Brad, I felt connected to God a couple years ago, but now I just, I, I'm questioning if he's there. Does he really speak? Does he, it's, we, we ignore God's bids, his constant bids for connection, even in creation. We don't have time to walk around the pond. I walk to, uh, uh, you know, I, I walk or run, walk, run, mostly walk. <laughs> Every morning, I try to do this uh, most mornings, and this heron bird just, swooped over, its wingtip kept just touching the water lightly before it landed. And I'm standing there, and, you know, I don't want to over-spiritualize this a lot, but I'm just, I, I'm in this, I have this ability to be awed. Wow, I get to be alive, and I get to, how does that work? God, you know what you're doing. We can't figure out if there's water anywhere else in the universe, but you created it all. Like, we are so limited in our understanding of who you are, but you want to know me. 
I'm going to read this last text here. We've read it a lot in the series. And the band is going to lead us in worship. And I'm going to ask you to do something that to some of you may sound so simple. And to some of you, it may be the scariest thing like you've ever heard in church. So brace yourself. (laughs) John begins his gospel account describing the voice of God. Jesus is the voice of God. In the beginning was the Word. He, the Word, was with the Father in the beginning. Through him, and he's revealing the fact that this is Jesus he's talking about. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. There is no life apart from Jesus, John tells us. And this word, God who loves us so much, came into this world to speak his love, his emotional connection to us. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So, here's how, I don't know, you might say later, Brad, that wasn't a big deal. I'm going to invite you to do something this morning in response. There's really two invitations. I, uh, Chris Sutherland and I walk a couple times a month on Wednesday mornings, and we just process faith and life and God's relevance. And Nike and Chris and I walked one Wednesday morning before work. If you are interested in walking with me, or some of us, and just watching how I walk around a pond or through the woods and pray and talk about life and look for God and my spirit, I would love for you to join me. Let us know. You can just fill out a form on the mobile app or fill out a card. I would love for you to join us. We're going to close here with this final song. This song talks about the closeness of God, Jesus just being in every part, all around our lives, in every part of our lives, whether we know it or not. And um, I, I, I felt so strongly, we need to respond this week, and I was trying to figure out how do we do this? Do we kneel? Do we, like, but these chairs and, you know, the rows, I didn't know if that was a good idea. I am going to walk down off stage as the band begins, and I am going to, some of this is symbolic, and some of it is just putting, putting action, physical action to the voice of God. I'm going to stand in the front and sing this song with the band to say, God, I'm moving toward your voice. And that's just the way I pictured doing it this morning. And I'm going to invite you to do the same. I'm going to invite you. Now, if you're, if you're new or you're just really trying to process faith and you need to stay at your seat, we respect that. We really do. But I'm going to invite you to come worship with me as a response, not because Brad told me to do this. Well, I'll, this, I'll feel weird if everybody does and I don't. But as an action, like I, this is how I'm supposed to respond on Tuesdays and Thursdays and Saturdays. When God speaks to me, I act, I move, I speak love, I reach out to that person. And if, we're, if we can't do it here in worship, saying, God, we move towards your voice, how are we going to do this in everyday life? So you're invited to join me in moving, walking, stepping toward the front as we move towards God's voice.